This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yes. Carlson. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Usually hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. But this week, I'll be your host, filling in for Elon. I'm Josie, and with me is Brian Com. Hey, Brian. How's it going? It's going really good, Josie. What an honor it is to be joined by the defending champion, or maybe former champion, of the Columbia International School Hockey Pool. Someone of your caliber is always welcome on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You might have noticed that Elon is away pursuing his other great passion in life, which is, of course, spending vacation time with his wife, and which is, of course, not the television show Survive and attending a related event. If you're new to the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. And of course, as always, this episode is presented by DailyFaceOff.com, which is your source for all things fantasy hockey, and you're going to need it down the stretch. You'll find all the latest in line changes, player injuries, line combinations, everything you can think of that you're going to need down the stretch, you'll find at DailyFaceOff.com. Okay, so... As always, we have a jam-packed show ready to go for you. So what should we start with this week? Well, Brian, how about we start with this week's outcheries? There aren't a ton of them, but we've got a big one to kick off this week's show. Kyle Ocposo is finally back after missing 20 games with an upper body injury and just in time for the fantasy playoffs. But he's not off to a great start. In three games so far, Ocposo has been held pointless and carries a minus five rating. What's the trouble and what does his return mean in the bigger picture? Okay, well, we know Kyle Ocposo's return. What it should mean for him is that it should mean point production at a similar pace to the 44 points in 49 games that he's scored to date. Don't worry about that minus five. Don't worry about that pointless three-game drought because the more pressing question is actually what happens to Anders Lee and Josh Bailey now? They were the two Islanders who settled in alongside Tavares in the 20-odd Ocposo-less games, and one of them is bound to get bumped from the top line, or so you'd think, because last night against Montreal, Tavares, Bailey, and Lee were still playing together for most of the night, while Ocposo was winging it alongside Franz Nielsen and Michael Grabner. This might be a byproduct, though, of a three-game losing streak more than anything, and I think we're probably more likely to see things stand the way they did during some of Okposo's first two games back, and during those first two games back, we saw Bailey sticking on the first line and Anders Lee shuffling off through the aisle's top nine. It is worth mentioning that Lee's ice time took a pretty decent hit on those nights. Both of them still carry value, but you need to keep an eye on their shot generation. We've spoken about both Lee's and Bailey's struggles to get pucks on net at times this season, 
season, but they both upped their numbers during their time on the top line, and whether or not they can maintain that uptick in their new roles is going to help determine just how much value they've got. Both of them, of course, have scored the most goals during the stretches where they've taken the most shots. That is not a coincidence, and whether or not they can sustain their roughly three shots on goal per game is going to go a long way in determining whether they'll be able to continue to score goals down the stretch. All right, up next, Ryan Murray has barely played this season, but it looks like he's finally healthy enough to hopefully play out the rest of the season as a member of the Columbus D Corps. What can we expect from him over the next few weeks? So at a glance, it doesn't look like there's too much to mention here. At this point, Murray remains a guy who may be on the cusp of producing in the NHL, but hasn't quite gotten there yet. He played four games at the start of the year before getting injured. Then he played three more in the middle before getting injured again. Just actually played his eighth game of the season, and we are like almost 70 in for most teams. In that eighth game, he saw a decent 20 minutes of ice time alongside his partner Kevin Connaughton, which was good enough for fourth amongst Blue Jacket defenders. He picked up three shots on goal and started a relatively high amount of shifts in the offensive zone. He also snuck in a minute on the power play, but his fantasy value at this point is probably limited to being a deep add in deep leagues and a watch list at best in most others. But in long-term keepers with deep rosters where you're keeping a lot of your players, he's a guy that you're going to want to have on your team now, or in leagues where you don't keep as many guys, he's a guy that you're going to want to have on your team in the not-too-distant future. And Josie, while we're talking about defensemen on the Blue Jackets, we should take a moment to mention that David Savard is that group's point leader over the last month with six points in 14 games. So you should probably keep your excitement reasonably tempered, especially with his lack of production in other peripherals. But there you have it. Maybe a more relevant defenseman that you want to try out down the stretch is Jared Spurgeon, who's back from a short absence due to concussion-like symptoms. Brian, what do you think? Has he got anything to offer in maybe a deeper league? So far, he's picked up three points in four games since returning to the lineup. He's the probably third defenseman in the Wild's power play pecking order and easily inside their top four when it even strength. His shot generation actually hasn't been too bad for D-Man getting in the neighborhood of two per game and he'll also block shots here and there. Elon actually is really into the idea of adding him right now for a short-term run and of course I'm a little colder but he actually may be one of the better options in reasonably deep leagues if you're trying to replace an injured player as we are. I know right now would be the time when Elon says, so would you choose Ryan Murray or Jared Spurgeon? And I think I would probably answer Spurgeon until Murray shows me a little more. And also, I want to see Murray rise on the Columbus power play depth chart before investing much into him. Speaking of these guys, by the way, Elon has also been really begging me to add Zach Bogosian to our roster to replace an injured Tyler Myers. He's another depth D-man that you might have available in your league. And he is doing what D-men in Buffalo do, which is blocking plenty of shots and throwing plenty of hits because his own team just does not have the puck a whole lot. If you're in a league that counts hits and blocks, he definitely could have decent value, but if your league counts plus minus as well, then you should take a second to consider this, and this is what I've also been trying to get Elon to consider, and that is that since becoming a Sabre, Zach Bogosian has seen his goaltenders stop over 94% of the shots they faced while on the ice at even strength. That number is about 2% higher than the rate at which Buffalo goalies have stopped shots all season, which might not sound like a lot, 2%, but 
put it this way, it's essentially the difference between a 920 save percentage and a 940 save percentage. So while Bogosian has been collecting those hits and blocks while escaping an onslaught of minuses so far, it's unlikely that he's going to have this much help and luck from his goaltenders for a whole lot longer. And also this just happened, he was scratched for last night's game versus the Rangers, so um, there's that to maybe a moot point now for all of this, but it's still something to keep in mind if you are weighing the total benefit of the peripherals that a healthy Zach Bogosian might be expected to produce over the rest of the season. Okay, and to close out our outries, how about a couple quick status updates on two star players who have been out since long before the most recent rash of injuries? Right, so everybody's complaining about injuries lately, but some of us have been missing players for a very long time. Elon and I happen to be missing both those players with the luck we've had. The first is Henrik Lundqvist. Looks like the king is on his way back to the crease. As of yesterday, the most recent news was that he was taking shots against him, of course, and working out intensely while he waits for medical clearance to play, so hopefully he's back before long. But I guess we should also take this moment to recognize the work that Cam Talbot has been putting in for the Rangers in Lundqvist's absence, because Talbot didn't exactly step into the New York net with guns ablazing, but he's really recovered well and has been coming on strong with some of his finest numbers since his relief work for Hank last year. Seven of his last eight starts have been good enough to register as quality starts, which of course are very important to fantasy hockey and are an actual metric. If you want to learn more, you can Google it. If you add the name Rob Volman to your Google query, you might learn more. Since February 24th, Talbot is sporting a record of 6-1-1, a 9-62 save percentage, and two shutouts, which is not too shabby for a guy who was likely available for free on your waiver wire when Lundqvist went down. But of course, with Lundqvist coming back, Talbot's value becomes substantially less. If you want to be cautious, though, you can hang on to Talbot for an extra couple games after Henrik's return just to make sure that everything is sound with Henrik Lundqvist's health and to guard yourself against disappointment in the circumstance that Talbot is called back into duty sooner than expected. Okay, so Henrik's getting better, but maybe hang on to Talbot for insurance if it doesn't hamper your roster a whole lot. Right, and then finally, let's get to our second guy, Taylor Hall, whose absence has been accompanied by a silence similar to the one that surrounded Lungvist at one point, but the difference with Hall is that this silence has yet to really be broken. The best update we've got is that recently, according to the Oilers, he was on the ice in a non-contact jersey before practice, but he didn't actually participate in practice. So there you have it. As Hall owners ourselves, we commiserate. Perhaps we can band together to buy stocks in Frustrated Incorporated. That's a Soul Asylum reference. All right, let's move on to the other side of the coin and talk about some of the latest injuries that could affect your fantasy team, beginning with Andre Palat. He's out with a lower body injury that'll keep him in street clothes for two to three weeks, which unfortunately covers a good stretch of the fantasy hockey playoffs. He's been a third of one of the most productive lines in the NHL this year. Brian, who will replace him and will they be able to approach Palat's numbers so far? Well, as of this recording, the Lightning have only played one game since Palat's injury, but the lucky guy slotting in with Kucherov and Johnson was the recently recalled Vladislav Nemesnikov, who we spoke about earlier on the podcast this year, and who has also been fantastic in the AHL so far. 14 goals and 21 assists for 35 points in 34 games 
with Tampa's minor league affiliate in Syracuse. His NHL game, however, is still developing only nine points in 31 games in the big leagues, though he does have two goals on seven shots in the five games he's played since being recalled. It's hard to imagine that he won't see a small bump in production if he does manage to stick on that second line. He's going to be a pretty good player one day too, but he obviously is not going to replicate Palat's production. Watch and see what Tampa does with their lines over the next few games, and then make the decision whether you want to go for the straight-up replacement, or perhaps another free agent might do a better job than the Mesnikov will do for you, even on such a productive line. What about Tyler Myers? It seems to be day-to-day with his upper body injury, and it's a total shame because he's been very productive since being traded to Winnipeg. Yeah, two goals and seven assists for nine points in 12 games played as a Jet so far, and he's done that with not terribly unreasonable personal and on-ice shooting percentages at even strength, although they are a touch above what they should be. Still, he's a good guy to keep an eye on for when he returns, and it could be soon, like you said, Josie, day-to-day. And with him and Bufflin both out, Paul Postma and Jacob Truba are going to see bumps in ice time, and the Jets are going to continue to lean on Toby Enstrom to do as much as he possibly can for Winnipeg's playoff rush. Let's move on to another defenseman. Last week, Michael Delzato hurt his foot blocking a shot and was supposed to be back before long, but the latest update makes it sound like he may be out for longer than anticipated. Which would be pretty bad news for his owners. I think we've made it clear that he's been valuable. Over Philadelphia's 20 games prior to Delzato's injury, he'd not only been their most productive defenseman, but was also comfortably in the top 20 across the league if you're looking at production at all strengths. His rate of points scored per 60 minutes put him within the top 10 in the NHL, sandwiched between Chris Letang and P.K. Subban. Not bad company to be keeping, but of course, all this matters a little bit less now that the latest news is that he looked like he was struggling during a 15-minute skate a couple days ago. And of course, the Flyers being the Flyers, they're going to have to lean on Andrew McDonald and Carlo Koliakovo to take on more even strength and power play minutes, along with, of course, Mark Streit. Both these guys would be very deep ads, though it is worth noting that Carlo Koliakovo has actually tallied two assists put seven shots on goal, and blocked seven shots in the four games since Del Zoto's injury. Sounds like the Flyers are probably sorry they can't use Braden Coburn to help out right now, but neither can his new team, the Tampa Bay Lightning. He'll likely miss the rest of the regular season with a lower body injury. Yes, what a disappointment for Tampa, and there's actually not too much to say here since he had just started his time with the Lightning. Just take a look at the way things were before his arrival, and that's pretty much the way things are going to be until his return. And let's run down the last couple ones very quickly. Jonas Gustafsson can't buy a break as it looks like he may have suffered another concussion after a run-in with Milan Lucic. And that, of course, means that Peter Morozik is once again in the Red Wings goaltending picture, and he will back up a struggling Jimmy Howard on a struggling Detroit team. I wouldn't expect Morozik to see a whole lot of time though he did perform admirably on Sunday afternoon against Pittsburgh. Keep in mind that Detroit does play back-to-back three times over the last three weeks of the season, though, so maybe Mrazek can help you with a spot start here and there if you have sort of like an invaluable roster spot that he can sit in. James Neal missed Saturday night's Preds game with an upper body injury. This is still fresh news, but what do you think this is going to mean for Nashville going forward? Yeah, this is pretty fresh, and we don't know the severity of it yet, but I imagine team management is going to be pretty cautious about it, which will be to the detriment of Neil's fantasy owners, of course, so apologies to you all. 
It looks like Nashville elected to shuffle their lines altogether, though, rather than simply drop someone else into his spot on the first line. So that's going to be a situation that you're going to want to keep an eye on in the days to come, using Daily Faceoff, of course. And I'll just throw out Mike Santarelli's name as a guy who may potentially see a little bit more ice time and with improved line mates in Neil's absence. And finally, just breaking now, Patrick Hornfist looks like he may be injured. He left Sunday's game in the third period. Yeah, this broke just as we started recording, and that pun is actually completely unintended. All we know right now comes from the Penn's beat reporter, Josh Yoey, who says that a long-term injury for Hornquist is not out of the question, which is really sad news for Hornquist owners, especially because they've already dealt with a prolonged absence from him already this season. If you are one of Hornquist's owners, or an owner of any of the players we've mentioned in this injury segment, of course you can feel free to tweet us at Keeping Carlson with your available free agents, You can even take a screenshot, send us a photo, and we will try and recommend our top choice out of them to help soften the blow. This Hornquist one in particular could be a real tough one for a lot of owners to handle, especially if your lineup has already been adversely affected by another injury or two, and judging by the amount of injuries in the NHL lately, that seems to actually be a fairly likely possibility. And we'll just take a quick break here. As I just mentioned, Twitter is one of the ways you can get in touch with us. The other way, and the way that we check the most times throughout the day and answer the fastest is over on our patrons-only Facebook group. Don't fret, if you're not a patron, head over to keepingcarlson.com patron. You can choose to donate $5 a month to support future episodes of the show. And in return, you will get access to the exclusive Facebook group where there is a ton of fantasy hockey conversation going on throughout the day. And of course, you have unlimited access to Elon and I. You will also be invited to our monthly live show tapings that we do over Google Hangouts, which are a lot of fun. And if you can't make it in person to ask your questions live, we release the audio to you as well. And of course, you get to listen to the show knowing that you helped make it possible. And this week, I should mention, uh, thank you very much, Dave, for coming on board as a patron of the show. We really appreciate your support. Anyone else who is interested, head on over to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Okay, Brian, one of my favorite segments on Keeping Carlson is sustainable or fleeting. Do you think Elon would mind if we play around without him? I think if Elon wants to be the only one to play sustainable or fleeting, then he should be here every week. So let's just go over how this works. We're going to talk about a bunch of players who are on hot streaks right now. And we will look a little deeper into the numbers to find out if their success is sustainable or if it's fleeting and how you should adjust your fantasy decisions accordingly. But Josie, I'm going to add one condition. You need to throw out the names of the players because I don't know who to talk about this week. No problem. Up first, Ryan O'Reilly. Oh, good one. So Ryan O'Reilly has hit the score sheet in 11 of his last 14 contests. He has 13 points in that span, 12 of which have been assists. In fact, it took him until last night's game against Calgary to break a 17-game goalless drought. And that was just his 11th goal on the season. And there's actually two reasons for that. So the first is that he's shooting less this season than he has in years past. And the second reason is that his personal shooting percentage this year is a fair bit below his career number. So if you combine those two factors, you'll end up with a lower goal scoring total than we would have liked to see from him. 
But hey, assists, of course, are nothing to sneeze at, though his uptick in those can be tied quite nicely to an uptick in his teammates' on-ice shooting percentages. So to summarize, both his lack of goal scoring and his glut of assist getting should be somewhat fleeting, both of them. So if you balance them out against each other, you've still got a pretty good option for an ad down the stretch who could keep producing through your fantasy playoffs. And let's go from a guy who's barely been scoring to a guy who looks like he couldn't miss for a short stretch. What do you think of Brad Marchand's recent outbursts? Is it sustainable or is it fleeting? I see you've played sustainable or fleeting before. And Marchand sure had a nice little run picking up five goals in four games, but those goals came on just 11 shots. So in other words, 45% of the shots he took found their way past the goalie, which as we know, is not sustainable. He hasn't had a bad season at all on the whole. He's picked up 22 goals and 16 assists for 38 points in 63 games. And we've already seen the end of this run. Actually, I don't know if that's cheating a little bit, but I would have told you that three games ago before he managed zilch, nothing, on four shots in those three games since that run. So his goal scoring was fleeting. Tell me about Nail Yakupov. I'm really excited about this one, actually. So since February 9th, Yak City's seen 12 points in 15 games, including six points with the extra men. And that's a really big deal because he had just 13 points in the 53 contests leading into this run. And for that reason, was pretty much left for fantasy dead on most waiver wires and free agency lists. Keep in mind that those six points on the power play that he's gotten coincide with a span in which the Oilers are seeing some very, very favorable team shooting percentages with the extra man. So perhaps that isn't entirely sustainable, but taking a look at his modest, even strength performance during this five-week scoring stretch, he had six points, everything actually looks pretty solid. He continues to be great at generating shots on goal, and he actually leads all regular Oilers forwards in shots per 60 minutes at even strength. His personal and team on-ice shooting percentage, though, and what's more is that his personal shooting percentage and his team on-ice shooting percentage at even strength, they are both totally sustainable suggesting that luck isn't really what is driving his success at five on five, which is, to be honest, what we'd hope, given that it is a fairly modest number. Because let me be clear, six even strength points in 15 games do not count for elite scoring, but if you add some kind of continued power play success to that number, you've got yourself a reasonable producer down the stretch who may still be available in your league. So let's call this one sustainable at even strength, though with the caveat that Yakupov's and his team's power play successes may be somewhat fleeting themselves. Moving on to another winger who's disappointed a lot of his owners this season. What's up with Thomas Vanek's latest run of production? Can we expect it to last? Of course you're speaking about Vanek's five points in his last four games played. And although the majority of those have come courtesy of four goals on nine shots, very similar to Brad Marchand, I'm not actually going to get down on Vanek because of it. We've been ruining his low shot totals all season, and unfortunately, he still hasn't fixed them. But in spite of that fact, he actually still deserves to have a few more goals on the year than the 17 he's registered so far. Now, I'm not going to go ahead and suggest that bad luck in the past is going to excuse good luck now and suggest that it's going to continue into the immediate future. But all I'm saying is that it wouldn't exactly be unfair of the hockey gods to allow him a short run towards the end of the season. I know I'm getting a little hunchy here, but I'm going to say that you could probably do worse than adding Vonick to your squad in a cycle spot or to replace whatever dead weight may be taking up space. My head very much tells me fleeting, but there's something in this 
huge gut of mine that tells me that it's going to be moderately sustainable, especially compared to what you might have expected from Vanek at this point after the disappointment that he's offered so far this year. Okay, so Vanek with five points in four games played, including four goals, maybe he'll continue to see some luck go his way down the stretch. Is there anyone else like him out there? Not quite the same player, and it's not somebody you think of when you think of somebody comparable to Thomas Vanek, but David Booth put up those exact same numbers, of course, to a lot less fanfare. He also scored five points in four games played, including four goals in a recent stretch, but... He did it with twice as many shots on goal, which may sound bad, like, oh man, this guy needed so many more opportunities to score than Vonick did, but it's actually good, and you should know that if you've been listening to us all season. The more shots you take, the more goals you can score, and David Booth has been taking shots. He's actually put three or more shots on net in each of his last eight games. That makes it far and away the best run he's been on all season, and you can look to his ice time to find out why it happened. In the last few weeks, He's seen his ice time jump from the 10 to 12 minute mark all the way up to about 16 and a half minutes per game, which essentially counts for top six ice time. Even up until now, before he got this increase, he had been making the most of the ice time that he did manage to get. He sits third amongst Leaf forwards this year in shots per 60 minutes. If David Booth keeps seeing increased ice time and takes that opportunity to continue shooting pucks, he definitely could pot a few more goals before the season is through and is worth a flyer as a depth guy if you've got a spot up for grabs right now. Thanks, Brian. Those are all the players I was interested in. Now let's get into some of the players you were interested in. Who are your players of note this week? Let's start off with another member of the Minnesota Wild, Mikhail Granlund. He has two goals and 10 assists for 12 points in his last 15 games played. That is definitely due in some part to his teammates being able to convert on more of their shots. And as we've mentioned before, those teammates are pretty darn good in Zach Prize and Jason Pominville. Don't count on Granlin to register a ton of shots on goal or score a ton of goals, but as long as his line mates keep rolling, he will roll along with them. Okay, so that's Mikhail Grenland. Who's next? How about a quick shout out for Jordan Eberle and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. We have been touting these guys all year and we just want to make sure that you are all aware that Eberle is up to 52 points in 68 games played on the season and Nugent Hopkins isn't far away with 47 points in 67 games played. We are not pretending to be geniuses. I think this was a fairly reliable outcome and we're happy they've caught up to the place that we believe they should be and they've done it by each scoring eight points in their last four games, both of them. So, you know, it's funny to say never give up on the Oilers in general, but when it comes to certain Oilers, like Eberle, Nugent Hopkins, maybe Yakupov, dear God, hopefully Taylor Hall, you probably shouldn't give up. Two more players who have been performing really well as of late. One, Marek Zidlitsky who is up to seven points in seven games played since joining his new team in Detroit, helped by a three-point effort on Sunday. He's got three goals and four assists, and five of his points have come on the power play. His value has definitely gone up since moving from New Jersey. And, of course, Eric Carlson has surged into the number one position in the NHL defenseman scoring race, grabbing nine points in his last eight games played to get ahead of Chris Letang. You should probably add him if you can. And then keep him. How about some guys you should not keep, though? Let's get to some snoozers to close out the show. Sure, and it's actually been a while since we've done a snoozer segment, so I've got four for you right now. So first and foremost, Hemo Timonen. If you need points right now, 
or if there's some substantial options available to you in free agency right now, then you might not want to wait for Kimo Timonen to find his feet as he eases back into the NHL after a prolonged absence. His ice time has actually gone down since his first game with Chicago, maybe too much too quickly. He had 17 and a half minutes that first night, but he's playing just 12, 9, and 10 minutes in his last three games. In five games total so far, he's got no points, three shots on goal, and fairly unimportant peripherals. If he is on your roster, you might want to start looking around and see if there's somebody else that you can try. I'm about to probably start looking at replacing him for my own team, especially if he hasn't stepped into a meaningful role by the time that my playoffs begin. I know who else you're going to talk about. Michael Hutchinson. A mind reader. You're absolutely right. And I think you might not have been the only one who could see this coming. At the All-Star break, we expected to see some regression from one of the best breakout players of the fantasy year and well that regression is happening and it's happening in a fairly painful way for owners of Michael Hutchinson. In 15 starts since the All-Star break he's managed just a dismal 879 save percentage and is giving up over three goals a game on average. He's registered a quality start in just four of his last 15 starts which is very bad by the way. If you were planning on riding him into the playoffs as your number one goalie you might want to reconsider. Even if you've got him as your number two, you'd be really wise to start exploring what options might be available for you if you want to try and firm up your goalie situation in the final weeks. Got it. Who's next? Two more quick ones. Cody Franson. Things are not working out so well for him in Nashville. I'm eating a little bit of crow because Elon saw this one coming. I was a little more optimistic, but after scoring nearly half a point per game in a stud role on the Leafs' blue line, he struggled to just three points in 12 games as a predator with declining even strength in power play ice time. Things are not going so well there. Keep an eye and see if slowly he might be able to work his ice time back up, but maybe that is still the optimist and stubborn person in me speaking. And our final snoozer this week is Carl Soderberg. His goalless drought has now run up to 22 games played, and he's only picked up five assists in that span, so it's not like he's collecting a lot of points in any way. He had 27 points in his first 38 games and was a feature of a lot of our early shows, but he has just eight points in 30 games played dating back to the beginning of the new year. And although his shot rates had been half-decent for a lot of this stretch, Even they've taken a turn for the worse. He's only managed five shots over his last four games in total. He's not actually this bad though, and his line mates haven't even changed much through this downturn. So it's up to you to consider that it might be strategic for you to find a hotter hand rather than weather this storm for any longer, but it should be inevitable that Soderbergh starts putting up points again. Stress on the should be. Depends on how patient you feel like being. And that'll do it for this week's show. It's been great guest hosting with you. Throughout the season, you and Elon have helped me in my league. How can I help you? Well, Josie, I'm glad you asked. If you liked the show, you can support us by writing a five-star review on us for iTunes. Don't just click the stars. Maybe you can write a little note. Let us feel warm and fuzzy about it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. And of course, you can become a patron of Keeping Carlson. Find out more about that over at KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. Thanks everyone for listening. And while Brian reads the credits, let's roll that outro music. This episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Daily Faceoff and supported by our patrons. It was researched with a lot of help from WarOnIce.com, Hockey Analysis, Roto World, Behind the Net, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. 
And of course, Elon still did put a lot of work into preparing the show, so thank you very much to him. Until next time, keep on keeping Carl Sons.